You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Guys, I guess the best way I can um, sort of uh, use this uh, or bring an analogy to this situation is picture an army chaplain, okay, an Australian army chaplain serving on the front line in Afghanistan, okay, and uh, he receives a message from his commanding officer that a leading Taliban commander has miraculously become a Christian. I've uh, been influenced by some mission group way out in the, in the stick somewhere. He's become a Christian. The, uh, the commanding officer says, now, I want you, chaplain, to receive this, this Taliban leader into the, into the community here at the base. We're going to take him in. He's actually defecting to our side. We're going to give him, uh, give him shelter. Uh, unfortunately, he has been a main player in the, in the killing of Australian troops. But uh, there's the assignment. We want you to welcome him. He's become a Christian. And, and that, now, that's an unlikely scenario, I'll grant you. But that's the closest I can think of as to what it must have been like for Ananias when he got the word that he was to welcome this guy Saul, who was absolutely hell-bent on the destruction of the Christian church as it was sort of growing at that stage. Did you see verse 1? You know, Saul kept up violent threats of murder. This wasn't just a threat like, oh, if you become a Christian, we're going to fine you heavily. Uh, we're going to put your name on the, on the front wall of City Hall. We're going to shame you because you're... Now, these, these were actual threats of you believe, you follow, you are likely to face death. And there's evidence that Saul was uh, in, 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 um, implicated in certain um, deaths, like the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Uh, the Bible says they laid their, their robes at the feet of Saul, those who had stoned Stephen to death, uh, Saul gave absolute sanction to to that um, uh, to that murder. So, in a sense, he was kind of maintaining the rage. Uh, you know, um, the rage that had been started by the Pharisees during the ministry of Jesus, and he wanted he was hell bent on making sure that the Christian church didn't get off the ground. Uh, but the real hero in this story of conversion is is Ananias. He's a guy who steps onto the stage of biblical history, makes a little cameo appearance. But he's basically doing what we're all called to do. That's why his story is so believable. We can relate to it so well. He's doing what basically we're all called to do. He's just being available for mission. He's being available to be used by God to to establish the kingdom through some form of ministry. And a careful look at, at his calling, I believe, tells us much about the calling Jesus has on your life, the calling he has on my life the calling he has on this church for mission and for ministry. You see, God's call to mission, well, not wanting to be too obvious, but it really, it has to be said, it begins with discipleship. It begins with discipleship. Verse 10 simply starts, there was a believer. The, the New International Version says, there was a disciple in Damascus. Guys, I think it's impossible to understate the importance of that description, of that statement. There was a disciple. Uh, You and I are at our most effective in mission when people know who who we are, when they know who we really are, when they know we're a disciple. That's when we're at our most effective. When people know why we act as we do. The effect our faith has on the way we think, the way we act, the way we respond to need, 
the way we handle the situations of life. In my ministry experience and in my personal experience when I was back in the workforce, that's the time when people see even a little bit of a difference. That's the time when they're likely to start asking questions. That's the time when in their time of need, they're likely to maybe approach you about what your faith means to you. There was a disciple in Damascus. This guy was ready to go. He was available. He was walking with the Lord. He was ready for mission. Uh, During my younger years, I got involved in a certain type of evangelism called Lay Institute for Evangelism. And the idea was you went to cold calling, door to door, cold calling. And your opening question was, hi, I'm Graham. God has a wonderful plan for your life. We wondered why the number of knockbacks were so high. Uh, I mean, even in those days when cold calling was reasonably acceptable for all sorts of reasons, it was very confrontational. I mean, looking back, I can't believe actually. But, you know, I was a very zealous young Christian, wanted to do all we could to get the message out there. Of course, I've since realised that, like, evangelism, it's, it's relational. You know, we've got to build bridges to people. People have got to know we're for real. People have got to know who we are, why we are as we are. They've got to know we're a disciple. Not to hammer it down their throats, but just by the way we live for that to become apparent. And when God calls us into mission, it generally involves a vision. That's the second thing I've drawn from the story of Ananias. Now, I'll grant you this. Very few of us will have the sheer joy, the sheer exhilaration, the sheer clarity of the kind of vision that Ananias got. Because the Bible says that in verse 10, There was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. He had a vision in which the Lord said to him, Ananias, a vision in which God spoke personally and called the guy by name. Impossible? Of course not. But in my experience, not all that common. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if you got such a a clear message from God? You know, we've always sort of wondered, God, what do you want me to do? Which, Which way should I go? Graham, whoa. Uh, I've, I've not had it quite that clearly. Uh, I've had some very special calls in my life, but never the sort of the audible voice. Well, that, that's what Ananias had. Very special. But, you know, guys, God does give his people visions. He does give his people visions of what is possible, visions of what he wants us to do. Visions arise as we look at situations with spiritual perception, as we discern what is Possible if God is really able through us to be turned loose into a situation. I mean, vision involves assessing needs and it's seeking to respond to situations in a Christ-like way. It's vision that got us into Hope Street. Vision that got us into the heart of Glebe. Vision that took us to Madagascar. Vision in my own small way that took me to the Dominican Republic. Vision that built this place. Vision is behind everything we do at Northside because vision is simply seeing what is possible through Christ-like eyes and being open to receiving a vision. It, It prompts a question like, has God ever revealed to you a vision of what's possible for you as a change agent within your circle of influence, within your family, within your work environment, within your social set, a vision of of the difference you could make in a transformational way. I know some of you have already discovered that vision and that calling and you're you're operating in that and you're thriving in that. 
uh, others, many others just wander and, and never really find that because maybe we never really ask God, what is it that you want to do through me? What is the vision you have for my life and how can I tap into that? Well, when the vision comes, almost certainly there's apprehension. Apprehension will be a factor, as it was with Ananias. Verse 13, Lord, many people have told me about this man, about all the terrible things he's done. Naturally, he was afraid. Naturally, he had apprehension. We've all been there, haven't we? Uh, Lord, me be a leader? I can't see, just can't see that. Uh, me get involved in a connection group? What if I don't know as much as the others know? Uh, me get down in the heart of glebe? I'm not really used to that sort of inner city struggling kind of person. What if I say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, get embarrassed or what? You know, um, there's always apprehension with any call. This man experienced it. We all do. We've all been there. They're part of the course in responding to the call of God. But here's the thing. Nothing happens until we act. You can sort of stay stunted and immobilized in fear and apprehension. There's two verses that leapt off the page to me. I, um, I prepared the basics of this message over in the Caribbean. And I kind of put the finishing touches uh, on the long flight back from Dallas and um, Two verses just leapt off the page at me. Verse 15, the Lord said, go. Verse 17, so Ananias went. And like you link those two, I mean, it's beautiful. That's, I mean, it doesn't get any simpler than that. Um, Time and time again within the Bible, God calls people into mission. And there's fear and there's apprehension and there's hesitation. But eventually, there's the response. A breakthrough. Through Through the fear, through the anxiety, it takes faith. But that's... That's when things start to happen. It's nearly always a leap of faith, as it was for Moses, for Abraham, for for Jonah, for all the other great heroes of the Bible, as it was for Saul in the end. Guys, uh, just reflecting back on the um, Dominican Republic, uh, I've just come from this setting where the only way to describe or to account for what's happened over there in 25 years is, is a series of calls and faith followed by action. Uh, it's just one after the other. They, uh, a lady, one of the marvellous uh, encounters I had was a lady who, with her husband back in 1948, went to this area when it was just a desolate wasteland, just nothing on the outskirts of Santo Domingo. And uh, today she is this beautiful lady. Her name is Doretta Brown from, I think it's Michigan. She went across as an American um, missionary all those years ago. I had this fear, got to sort of greet her on many occasions. I had this fear that I would call her Dorito. Um, and I, I, I think I did once uh, from the platform. I said, it's great to have Sister Dorito here. And I think, but Eliel corrected it. I think you know, Sister Dorito. Um, I don't even like Doritos, but somehow it sort of just came into my mind. But she was a beautiful, beautiful woman. And she's 90 years of age now because like, she, she went out there in 1948 and just an incredible lady. She said, oh, did you take any photos of tonight? And I said, yes, I did. She said, oh, look, send them to me at my email. My email's down, but it's okay. I'm still texting. It's okay. And like she's 90 years of age and just fully savvy with all the tech stuff and that amazing lady. And uh, she went out by faith. And at one point, um, she told of how her husband left her for uh, 15 months to go back to America to try to raise funds, left her with three kids on the edge of Santa Domingo in the early 50s with just a kind of a wasteland. And I said, wow, how did you manage? And she said, well, it wasn't easy. She said, but let's just put it this way, he never did that again. Uh, so, like, when he got back, there was obviously a, a, a sort of a, a defining moment in the marriage. Um, never did it again. 
But, you know, like that, that sort of, you know, faith and action. And then the young couple from Haiti, I mean, just getting a call from God uh, to go to a place that many of us would even uh, probably struggle to even make a visit to. And they're going to establish themselves in a, in a ministry there. So this church has an incredible range of ministries uh, in various ways. They, they bring in dentists from America uh, every year and they've got a special surgery set up on the campus uh, with dental chairs and so on. They bring these dentists in and they give free me- uh, dental treatment to um, the people of the immediate area and wider Santa Domingo. It's, it's exciting. So the people of the Quizkiana Church, they've found, as Ananias did, as we have here, that eventually acceptance and inclusion are vital in ministry and mission. Verse 17. Uh, look at the way Ananias greets Saul. Here's this, you know, the sworn enemy of the Christian church. Look at this. Verse 17. So Ananias went. He entered the house where Saul was. He placed his hands on him. Brother Saul, he said, the Lord has sent me. Brother Saul. I mean, it wasn't some sort of, you know, pious, self-righteous, condescending you know, may we help you? You know, I mean, <laughs> you who've caused us so much pain, what can we do for you? It was like instant ink, brother Saul. It's okay. God has sent me. You're going to be part of our family from now on. Incredible. Um, you know, one of the saddest of all the misinterpretations that are around about Christianity, and there are plenty, um, to me, one of the saddest is the one that lies in the area of exclusivity. There are still people who I meet, and I'm sure you meet them, who still believe you have to be a certain type of person to be a Christian. You've got to come from a certain type of background. You've got to have a certain level of moral integrity and social standing to begin with before you can really, you know, like nothing could be further from the truth. And, and sometimes the church, unfortunately, has contributed to that perception with our emphasis on legalism and conformity and all all the things we're trying to leave behind here at Northside. Here at Northside, we've always tried to communicate the message that this is a church anyone can come to. We're not worried about your background, where you've come from, the pain in your life. We're worried about the future. We're more concerned about the future God is preparing for you. And some of the stories in this congregation are amazing, real darkness to light stories, some incredible stories. And not content to convey a message about who should come, increasingly through our Beyond Northside emphasis, of course, we're actually taking the message to people and, uh, and expressing the love of God to people in their situation of need. Guys, in conclusion, look, Ananias is, a, is the hero behind Saul's conversion. He was available for mission and ministry. In Damascus, there was a disciple. He got a vision of what was possible. Yes, he had his moments of apprehension. We all do. But uh, in the end, he, through faith and trust, he was prepared to act, get involved, get into the swim, get into the water. And uh, he reached out with acceptance, with grace and love, which has always got to be the way in which we impart the, the Christian gospel. Never in any kind of pressure way, but always through relationships based on love and acceptance and inclusion. Guys, I said earlier, I know many of you have already discovered your calling in Jesus Christ. You know where you're meant to serve and it's an unfolding picture and you're, you're getting tremendous blessing out of responding to his call. Others of you are yet to have a really serious conversation with Jesus Christ. You know, look, what difference could I make? I have a sphere of influence. Uh, I, I do mix and move with people who need you. Maybe I've been reluctant to be your Ananias in that situation, but show me one way I can be involved in that way. 
Some of you maybe tonight have not even experienced the initial call of God. Maybe you're sensing it tonight. You're sensing that there's more to life than meets the eye. There's a spiritual dimension to be explored. There's a Jesus Christ to respond to. Uh, we're going to move into a ministry time very shortly. I'm going to lovingly invite you. If you would like to know more, if you're even ready to receive Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to come to the back and pray with us. We've got a, a pastoral prayer team up there. We'll pray with you. Uh, we will invite you uh, to start on the journey of following Jesus Christ. There is nothing like it. I could pass the microphone around here tonight and just one after the other would would talk of the impact that Jesus Christ has had on their lives and is having, the difference that he is making through all kinds of difficulties and trials. and He just makes the world a difference. So can we be in prayer now as God moves among us and whatever your need is, be open, be receptive, be willing to open to him as never before. This could be a night that you'll never forget as you determine, as you resolve to find out what God's call is for you. Uh, not everybody can go to Madagascar. Not everybody can do something special like that. But everybody has a place, to, a part to play. And in, in finding that part, that's where fulfillment really is. That's where we really get to discover the difference that Jesus makes. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?